0: Not going to dip in Holy Ghost oil. Facial hair is not apostolic. You're just going to course. Course. You're 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 just gonna stay angry at God be the a course course. Course. Whether it's popular or not, we're seeking at what pleases the Lord. Hi, friends. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the UPC Later podcast with our guest this week whose story is entitled I'm Not Ashamed. I want to say real quickly that whether you're listening to this the day before Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, in the weeks to come, I'm so, so thankful that you are here, that you are a listener, that you have been a guest, that you have contributed in any way to this podcast. You guys are incredible. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I can't wait for what's to come with this podcast. So with that, I want to get right to the story, and let's go. Okay, friends, we are back with a brand new guest who I'm super excited for you guys to get to know, so welcome, and do you feel comfortable sharing your first name?
1: Yes, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, My name's Anthony, and I've been looking forward to do this for uh, quite a while now, So I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. So, Anthony and I didn't grow up together, but we were in the same events together, um, so we know each other. And I am really excited to get to hear a lot of the details about your life and your upbringing that I just, I don't know. So talk me through the early stages. Did you grow up in church? Was your family involved? You know, give me those details.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'd actually like to, if it's okay with you, um, kind of open with a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, I know there's going to be like, uh, two categories of people listening, um, to this podcast and, you know, that have been listening so far in a previous episode. So um, people who are in the church who are either, you know, fully invested at, or they're maybe considering leaving, um, my request is to keep an open mind. Um, and um, I understand that these ideas are part of your identity. So, um, you know, sometimes... I may say a couple things that might be a little bit challenging because they were challenging to me when I was examining my own beliefs and what I, what I thought. Um, and when your identity is challenged, you can become, um, pretty defensive. So I would encourage you to just keep an open mind and open heart when, um, when listening to this podcast and when listening to my story and, uh, try to give it a fair shot and maybe just listen with, um, with a hope to understand somebody else's perspective. Yeah. Um, and then the second group, um, people who have already left, um, my request from you is to not be too critical of people who are maybe still within the church or within the organization or an affiliation of it. Um, but to be more critical of the ideas associated with the church versus maybe specific people.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: Um, Because in the end, my belief is that um, a lot of them are good people who have been influenced by maybe bad ideas. So center your um, focus around um, the ideas and concept versus maybe specific people.
0: Yeah. Um, Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um so to uh answer your question, sorry. <laughs> uh but to answer your question about like my origin, how I got started in the church. So I'm third generation um Pentecostal, Apostolic Pentecostal uh more specifically. And um I know a person you had on this podcast previously was, you know, multiple generations in and they mentioned that it's sort of like a badge of honor within the church which right. when I heard that it really resonated with me because I it was kind of a badge of honor for me growing up, and I felt proud like representing that yeah. like part of myself, and growing up in that. Um, so, I was born um, into the church. Um, that's all I knew from you know a family that attended regularly. Um, my family was very involved in the church and in various ministries. Um, I have close family members who um, were pastors um, and family members who have been missionaries, and, um, they kind of, uh, passed a lot, you know, all of that, um, heritage down to me. So, from very early childhood, I was very familiar with the church, the practices, being around the same people all the time, um, you develop an emotional attachment to Um, a lot of the teachings because it's coming from your family, uh, leadership you get close to. Um, so me and my siblings grew up in that environment. I remember, you know, playing under the pews as a little kid and building forts out of the, uh, the hymnal books (laughs) and using race cars to like jump over them and run through them. And, um, yeah, so that's all I knew growing up. And then, um. While I was still a kid um, my family moved to a different state um, because other family members of mine moved to the different state so we kind of followed them and um, we still attended um, another Pentecostal church growing up um, and that was through um, all of my adolescence that I attended um, at Pentecostal churches and uh remained heavily involved in that environment in various ministries.
0: Okay. Um, and so what organization were you
1: all a part of? Because
0: I know there's a lot of different Pentecostal organizations. So were you a part of a specific one growing up? Were there a couple of different ones?
1: It was always all the same. So it was uh, UPCI all the way. Okay. Yeah, with, with each church.
0: Got it. Hmm. Um, and so were you involved in your youth group and things like that?
1: Yes. So heavily involved with youth group. Um, involved in children's ministry. Um, I was most involved with music uh, ministry. My um, I've come from a musical family. There are a lot of singers and musicians in my family. So um, that was instilled in me at a very young age. And I just kind of, I think just by being around it when I was a kid, I just picked it up naturally. And it wasn't, I never had any struggle I mean, my first piano lesson, I was four years old, and my feet couldn't touch the pedals on a grand piano. So it was just something that I was surrounded by and heavily influenced by, so I think I just um, picked it up that way, and it came very naturally to me.
0: Okay, and did you find joy doing that? Like, Were you happy to be involved in music?
1: Yes. Actually, that's one of the things that I treasured about not only my upbringing, but something I treasured about the church because it was an outlet to where I got to do something that I loved on a consistent basis. Sure. And it was something that came naturally to me. It wasn't a struggle. Yeah. And I was surrounded by people who loved the same thing so and encouraged the same thing, like encouraged right. my love of music because they love music. Yeah. And I was very lucky and fortunate to learn from great musicians and... Um, play with uh, great musicians and I started really playing in church when I was about maybe 11-12 years old and what the position I always found myself in for whatever reason I was always playing with musicians that were better than me Okay. and I think in a lot of ways that helped sharpen me because yeah. my personality is like I never want to be the weakest link So I would always be like over rehearsed and like extra practiced because I didn't want to show up and be the one that didn't know what they were doing. And I was playing with people that could play circles around me and I knew that, but it encouraged me to get better. And I liked that too. I thrived in that. And it's one, one of the things that I cherished about, you know, um, being involved so much. And I think just, um, being honest with myself, that's part of the reason it's when you're anchored in something like that that you love, yeah. it can be hard to leave because that means you're also leaving this thing that you love.
0: Right. I think it's really common, especially for people involved in music, that because you're so involved and you're so dedicated to what's happening there, that it's not like, you know, you can't just pick up and leave and start doing music. You know that's all you know is the church environment for music, and so when you're when you leave you're willing to give up that really big part of your life,
1: yes, and that's part of the struggle in even considering leaving
0: right
1: because um you may in your heart be like um." I know I could feel comfortable in these ways if I left or found, you know, another organization or another church or something else and feel satisfied in that way. But would it be the same as what I'm getting now if I give up what what I love and being so heavily involved in whatever ministry or aspect of the church that you're involved in?
0: Right. Yeah. That can be really, really tough. So it sounds like, you know, you're your family's involved you're involved you have this heritage in Pentecost and in the UPC so can you tell me like what was the first moment that you thought to yourself something doesn't feel right
1: um so wow there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> take um, your time where do we go from here um so I'll get I guess I'll just start with one thing yeah um so I was in my mid-twenties and very actively involved in the church, um, as I had always been. And then um, one day I met someone um, who is um, a theist, so is somebody who believes a God exists. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with the term, a theist is somebody who accepts, accepts that a God exists um he was a believer but he wasn't a part of Christianity so he was a part of another religion
0: okay
1: so i met him and um we were having a conversation it was casual conversation somehow the bible came up and um he mentioned um something that was in exodus and it was on the issue of slavery and i said that's not in the Bible. And he said, yes, it is. He said, it's in Exodus 21. And I said, I don't think so. And immediately I got defensive. Because I'm like, there's no way I have never heard this before. Right. And it's like, I know the Bible content, content stories. I know what's in there. Right. I know what I've been taught. I would have been taught this so he said that and then i was just like well okay you know um if you say so but then later on i after that i did research because i was like what what is he talking about um what is he like why did he mention slavery and you know in exodus and then i went to where he referenced it and i was like kind of caught off guard and a little baffled because what he said was in there, I found. And when I found it, and just the specific reference is in Exodus 21, and it's commandment and instruction um, on how to treat slaves, and how to beat slaves, and when you can kill them. And I looked at different translations, I looked at where this came from, when this was documented, when the manuscript, when we found the earliest manuscripts, and I was like, it is there. What he's saying is in the Bible. Yeah. And immediately I was like, "I, how have I never heard about this? So then that really, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. Because growing up in the church, and I think I know this thing front and back, and then something like that gets pointed out that I never heard of mm-hmm. or if I did hear it I, it was glossed over or there's never been I don't I don't know if there ever has been or ever was but there's never been a sermon that I have heard preached on that chapter so um, in researching that, it kind of opened up a can of worms for me. And then I was like, well, what else is in here that I don't know about? Right. Or what else should I investigate a lot further? So from there, I looked into Noah's flood. I looked into the story of Adam and Eve. I looked into the exodus out of Egypt that the Bible describes. And the more I dug the... I felt like I was excavating... A like dinosaur fossils (laughs) because of how hard I was digging I needed to find out what all this what all the rest of this means what it says not just hearing the Bible stories but really understanding where everything comes from and I thought it was odd when I started researching these things I thought it was odd a thought came to my head I know the Bible content stories, but I was never taught where these originally came from. And I thought it was really strange that for us to be preaching this as the gospel, why is there not as much emphasis on here's how we got this? It's just these stories, but where do they come from and why were they written and who decided it would be in the Bible canon, and all of this. Yeah. I thought it was very strange that I've never heard of the origin of it. Why was it included? Who wrote it? I, I thought it was... That was very bizarre to me. So the more I researched, the more questions I had. And... um i discovered that a lot of those things that i thought i understood really well didn't line up at all to what i was discovering
0: and did the people around you um like your leadership your family did they know that you had these questions or that you were doing this deep research into the bible
1: they didn't know until um i mean i told a few family members after the fact but nobody knew at the time because i was still heavily involved in the church meanwhile i'm heavily involved but on the back end after a service i'm researching yeah more and more and more for hours at a time every day i'm digging and researching so a service would end i'd go home and research everything that more questions that i had right like i would take copious notes during a service and listen to what's being said and then i'd go home and like research but I didn't want to make it known that I was kind of doing this digging because in the church, um, if you're not super familiar with it, doubt is sort of frowned upon.
0: Sure.
1: Oh, and not even sort of. Yeah. Doubt, <laughs> doubt is definitely frowned upon.
0: Heavily frowned upon. You
1: agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doubt is not a good thing. No. Um, you should be very confident in what you think and what you believe. And questioning is typically not good and it can even land you in some trouble. Sure. So so I tried to be discreet about my research because as a rule follower and my personality, I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. Especially because I'm still researching this and I'm trying to be fragile with it. Mm -hmm. This is my belief system that is my identity. And it was a little traumatic for me when I started researching and finding out, discovering that what I've heard my whole life and been taught my whole life, a lot of it doesn't line up with actual facts. Yeah. So um, I pretty much kept that to myself. Um, And... um, and trying to just think critically and break things down um on my own and in that process actually um one of my favorite books or two books is first and second kings um of the bible and the reason why I love those books so much is because you can there are battles described in those books You can cross-reference that in history and find out that these battles took place. Okay. In the places that are described. So what I like, why I like that is I got to measure that against something historically that did happen. Sure. Another thing it made me do is I need to measure the rest up like that. If I did this with this and I can trace it here... But on a lot of the stories, there was a dead end when I went to cross-reference it. Did the global flood happen? No. There's actually over ten fields of scientific study that prove that it didn't happen. And did this happen? Did this happen? And um It was uh it was important for me to come to a place of In my research, would I rather be comfortable and just keep doing what I've always been doing and attending and burying my head in the sand? Or is it more important for me to be honest? And what I came to was I would rather be uncomfortable with the truth and honest.
0: Yeah.
1: Versus dishonest and just go with the motions, go through the motions.
0: And this must have been really difficult because you have so many people in your life, your family members, you know, you're in a music ministry, kids ministry, youth ministry. So you've got a lot of leadership around you. And, it, you know, it must have been hard to look at these, you know, the people around you who you're trusting and who have guided you to the point you're at to say, how am I the only one seeing this? Yes.
1: And I would sit there and I would be like, either. Other people are doing a similar thing that I'm doing, maybe, or some people, mm-hmm. and they're just not saying anything, like me. Or they really are not that invested in looking into things.
0: Yeah.
1: Aside from maybe some a bias they have because they're a part of the church. Or they're so invested in the church that at this point, because they think they've found the only truth they won't bother once you once you think you've confirmed what the truth is your research kind of stops yeah you know what i'm saying when you feel like you've got the answer why would you research further
0: and and the the truth um in air quotes that's being taught um it's very black and white heaven or hell there are no... There's no room for a question. There's no... Maybe we have it wrong. It's... They have everything that they have correct. Right. And any question or any, you know, gray area is absolutely incorrect.
1: Yes. And something that we even have to... Maybe we doubt a little bit and have to look into further. Um, I I never saw a lot of that being done. I mean... There's scripture being read, but not a lot of, um, not a lot of support from any other source. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they, because they've, they believe they found the answer that they've stopped searching. Right. But the more I searched, the more questions I had. And it only made me want to search more.
0: Yeah. And that must have been tough for you also as a rule follower. Yes. Um, To have that in your personality. To just want to keep people happy. Want to do what's right according to what you're taught. Um, So this goes against everything from what I'm hearing. It goes against your personality completely. Completely.
1: And I felt a little like naughty when I was researching. (laughs) Because I'm like, you can't look into this too much. Because you may rock the boat. Your own boat. You know? Not only that, but I was so... Because my family comes from the church, um, I had a lot of emotional investment in the church. Sure. So because of that additional tie, on top of being heavily involved, I associated, and in researching things about the Bible, I did my own psychology research because I wanted to understand what happened to me. Um. In, like, through my childhood, and I wanted to understand better why I thought the way I did and how I process information that I was being taught. And I realized that I went through a process called identification. And what that is is you, because of emotional ties or other ties, you absorb identities and ideas of the people around you because of that familiarity. Sure. So, if your aunt and uncle believe a certain thing, you're close to them, you may attach yourself to other beliefs and systems that they have.
0: Simply because?
1: Because of the association. Right. So, you start to kind of blur the lines a little bit. Okay. So I realized I went through a process like that, and then I realized that um, in more research uh, with psychology, I realized that um, I developed a foreclosed identity. There's four main types of identities, Um, but a foreclosed identity is belief that you've done a high amount of research when you haven't done a high amount of research, and you have very high confidence in this belief. So often in the beginning, especially questioning things and not sure about things and researching things, I would be very defensive because I would be wanting to prove the Bible right. Everything about the Bible, every word about the Bible because it's what I was taught and I know it's right. Yeah. So I would be very defensive, especially in the beginning because it's like, I know it's right and I know what I've been taught. Every single word of the Bible, everything in there is correct. Yeah. So when people or anybody else would question me, I get defensive. And it was sort of like questioning my identity. Right. And you can feel very protective of something that you hold dear since you've held dear since you were a child. You know? Sure.
0: So when you're a kid, because um, you said you're in your mid-20s at this point, um, and you don't want anybody to know. You don't want people to think that you're doubting and, you know, there's always consequences for things like that. Had you experienced consequences within the church or the organization prior to this that made you know that nobody could know?
1: Um, in the sense of, in the sense of, um, research that I was doing or questions that I had regarding maybe the doctrine, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. However, um, I observed people that had maybe removed themselves from the church were no longer affiliated with that church or the organization as a whole. Sure. Maybe they thought differently now. And I saw sort of the fallout that came from that, Mm -hmm. um, over the course of like many years. And um, it was never a good, like, a pretty picture. Okay. It never ended well, seemingly, in my eyes, and maybe you can attest to it as well. Sure. Somebody, you see somebody leave, and usually it's not a good, um, it's not a good ending. Like, there's some sort of, like, strife or bad blood or, you know, it's never a peaceful we get it, you think differently than, right. I, than I do. Right. It's not like that at all. No. Um, and that comes back to it being frowned upon. Sure. Anybody who believes differently is looked down upon. And I think that's a fundamental aspect in the UPC. Sure.
0: Because they've been doing what they're doing for... <laughs> I want to say, I, each time this this comes up i want to say they've been doing it for a very long time when in reality it's not been a very long time that the upc itself has had these specific uh salvation standards holiness standards things like that it hasn't been very long but it's been long enough that people don't want to hear anything different they don't want to have a discussion and maybe be open to another belief or interpretation of the same scripture that they're reading
1: right and it comes back to them I think it's just some people have been in it so long, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah. This is them. This is their identity. And to question it is questioning them and their identity so they'll get defensive.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's their whole life.
1: And imagine this is another, yeah, it's their whole life. And it's not like they can just start questioning at 60 and start their life over. Yeah. That thought probably won't even cross their brain. I can't imagine a lot of people that I know who are still in it and 60 years old starting over from square one. Right. Tossing this out and just really digging and wanting to understand why they believe what they believe. Sure. Truthfully. Yeah. Without a bias, not their dad telling them what to believe. Not because their grandfather was a pastor. Right. But... Why do I follow this thing? It can't be because my dad said it.
0: Yeah.
1: Or my mom said it or my grandfather said it. My grandmother said it. I can't imagine a lot of those people starting over. Not only that, they've been in this forever. So, and this isn't to be like disparaging or in any way insulting of anybody. But they may not have another skill set or education possibly. So where are they going to go if they give up this career in the church?
0: Right. And I do, there are a couple of people who have reached out who are in their 50s, 60s. Um, and I, I am learning that it is 10 times more difficult because the time invested and their families are now there, their children, sometimes their grandchildren. Um, so it's a lot of pressure. Um, and so I am seeing that people are leaving, but I do agree. It's a whole new level of difficulty. Because somebody in their teens, their 20s, their 30s has, you know, hopefully a lot more life to live and a lot more things to do and to try and places to go, things to do. And then, you know, these people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, it's a very, very scary thing. It's like, well, where do I go from here? What do I do from here? What do I believe from here? My kids are there, you know, the grandkids. And it's it's just a different level of... um, terror i think yeah i to, can't imagine to it. try
1: and i can't it would scare me if i were 60 and i had grandkids that i was raising in this certain thing and then if i sort of have doubts and i want to make a decision how is it going to influence them when yeah. i told them this is how it's going to be
0: right
1: this whole time
0: yeah
1: and suddenly grandma's different <laughs> Or grandma believes a different thing
0: right
1: like how like I don't even, I can't even put myself in those shoes. No, I... That's why I can't be too critical of people who I understand. They may have people in it right now. I believe, it's my belief that some do question, but they're so invested. It's, they can't pull out now.
0: I agree. I think um, a lot of people, you know, I've heard the term rather be safe than sorry, you know, would rather just, I've, I've already been in it so long, what's another 10, 20 years, Um, and which is why it's so commendable, no matter what age, you know, somebody who's in middle school, who's, you know, not seeing things that their family is believing as truth. Somebody who's been in it for decades. Anytime somebody takes the step to say, I'm going to, I'm going to look into it a little deeper. I'm going to ask some questions like that to me is just the most commendable thing because it is terrifying to do. But I do think a lot of people are in the organization Um, who say, I don't believe the holiness standards, but whatever, we're already here. Right. You know, it's just, it's easy, it's easy to stay.
1: (laughs) Right. Or they're like, I don't agree with this thing in the Bible, but I do kind of agree with this thing. So, I mean, there's more good than bad.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really, really hard. Um, You know, you know, personally, it's really hard to leave, uh, which brings me to a question like, When did you finally decide? Um, Because, like, were you having issues within the church? Like, were you in a good place with your leadership and things like that?
1: So, um, that's actually... um, That's actually an interesting question um, for a couple reasons. So... I had... I always had a struggle in the church. Okay. Um, And... My struggle being that the church, and as you know, I'm just growing up in the same organization, um, it's not a secret that the church. This is another thing that's heavily frowned upon. They frown upon homosexuality. Sure. Um, it's like zero tolerance. Right. And that's pretty much, um, I would say, all throughout the UPC.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't think... Every single church. I don't think they're... I mean... I don't think...
1: I don't know of a church that...
0: If somebody's listening and you know of a church, I'd love to talk to them. In the UPC. In the UPC, who's like, sure. Has
1: an exception. I'm pretty sure it's a uniform thing throughout the church. Right, across the board. Right. It's a no... Yeah, it's a no-no. So, um, just that being a part of my identity that I've known since I was seven years old... I am growing up in it and hearing these messages from the pulpit about God hates that and you shouldn't be like that and you need to change yeah and you need to pray this off or pray this out of you or get prayer for this or, you know, all of that messaging yeah. that we've heard. um That was really traumatic to hear growing up. So I was never able to reconcile that with, um, as far as my true identity and as, and with what the church taught. So in your question about, um, was I in a good place with like leadership and all of that? Well, um... I had sort of lost um, some faith in leadership, I guess. Okay. Because, and I'll just give like one or two examples. Like I confided in a leader when I was a teenager um, that uh, this is something that at the time I said, I struggle with this. So I confided in that leader and then... Um, there was a change in leadership. The same position, but there was a change in leadership between one person and another person. So I told that leader, and then shortly after that, a new leader took over that position. Um, And that person I told, told the new leader, like informing them about me. The next service, I show up to church in a shirt I had worn a dozen times. a purple shirt and after the service this person comes up to me and says hey this leader says hey you know um uh i just uh i just i'm telling you this because i care about you um you know i you know i saw the other day you had on like a purple shirt or lavender shirt or something he goes You know, I just don't want people to think the wrong thing about you. So you might not want to wear that ever again. And at the time, I was like, so caught off guard. And I was like, I don't even, I didn't even say a lot. I just let him say that and he walked away. And I was in my head, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So I literally never wore it again. There were a couple other instances like that a leader addressed me actually not too long after that this i will say is was a self appointed leader <laughs> <laughs> this person has um an ego sure. in the church okay and appoints themselves as a leader who had leadership kind of roles or taught classes and things but not like a Super high up leader. Okay. But had some, you know, affiliation with leadership. I was involved in something and it was on the platform. After we were done with that thing, um, they called me over. We're sitting on the front row. Nobody's around us at this time. And they said, well, I'm just, you know, I want to tell you this because I love you. Said, you know, um, you know, how you were, you know you're like your hand gestures and you know how you you held that they're like I I just you know I'm telling this cuz I love you and I don't want anybody to think you know and that's how they said it. And again, I was like what? Like this does not sound like love.
0: No, I, don't, I-
1: And it's also for, this is unwarranted in my opinion. Sure. And uh, unsolicited advice as well. Absolutely. And somebody taking their liberty to do this.
0: And, And using the term, because I love you.
1: Yes, it's almost manipulating. It is manipulating.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And I found out later on that that person who told me that was, let's use air quotes, struggling with the same thing that I was struggling with. So, it made me question leadership?
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: And have less confidence?
0: Because um, it's almost presented like, this is the worst thing anybody could think of you. Right. Is that you could be homosexual. Right. Based on the color of your shirt and the gesture of your hands. And we don't want anybody...
1: Even thinking To that. even
0: think. Because, you know, God forbid. If, and that was the worst thing that they brought to the table. Even
1: thinking it. Even if somebody else assuming not even having proof right but their assumption of you of being that would be the worst so because of instances like that i had less i felt leadership was less credible um there was there was a situation and catching me up to about my mid 20s when um and my relationship with leadership. Okay. Just a sort of a brief story. Um there was a situation in the church where someone and someone a member and someone um close to me something happened with them and it was devastating to a family member of mine and I was not a part of the situation, but, and this is, it's going to sound a little obscure and a little vague, but it's just that I don't want to expose too many details. No,
0: yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah, and illuminate too much, but um, it was devastating to a family member of mine and this person had, it came out eventually that they manipulated me and lied to me For a long time. And this was somebody in a leadership position. Okay. And lied to me on a consistent basis to get information about people and a person very close to me. And this leader, it ended up becoming so extreme. They would use information unbeknownst to me. I was just an innocent party in all this. And I thought they were befriending me.
0: Yeah.
1: And just being nice. But secretly, they were very manipulative and really a liar. They would use information um, that I would disclose to them just freely, just innocently. And it became so bad to where this leader was stalking this person close to me. Physically stalking them. So... I found that out and it made me it again it it was hard for me to trust some leadership again um there were some I I felt like I could trust but it things like that made it way less consistent and
0: and you're already finding these inconsistencies within your beliefs yes and now you're finding inc- inconsin- inconsistencies with the leadership
1: yes So, it made it, like... And that person really hurt me, deeply. And it took a long time to get over that. Um, I worked through it outside of the church. Outside of the church's help. Um, So, when this happened... And it was really damaging to me. um, But when this happened... A leader, an actual leader, was aware of it, became aware of it, and they actually reached out to me, and they said, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Because they knew it affected me bad. They had never, they never said anything else about it before that, but the first thing they texted me was, are you okay? When they found out what happened. And then they said, can we meet tomorrow? because people were meeting at the church for a certain thing and I was going to be there as well so the person knew that and they said can we meet tomorrow just if you want to talk so I did and I talked with them and they said privately just us two and they said are you doing okay I want to make sure you're all right." and that was one of the few times that I felt like wow like this person is demonstrating care, a real leader. Yeah. And I was impressed by that. And that made me have a little more confidence <laughs> because it wasn't, they were, they literally just were like, are you okay? Yeah. Like at this fallout, I there's a lot of damage that was done. Are you doing okay? Um, So that was one of the times that I felt okay, but it still didn't, It's still, I still couldn't recognize everything else, reconcile everything else that I was going through with my doubts and everything like that. But that was an instance where I can honestly say, giving some credibility to the church or somebody in the church that not everybody has bad intention. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's bad. Right. Some are, most are doing it very sincerely. They believe in this and they're good people. They're decent people. Mm Mm-hmm but they're just heavily misguided sometimes.